0: Brown reminds us to ask the question, What is it that's at the center of my life? What is the person, the goal, the thing, the idea that everything else in my life revolves around? Jesus Christ says He wants to be in the center of our lives. And if we ever invite Him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth and everlasting life after earth. I went to a large high school, and uh, we had this thing there called class superlatives. Did you have this in high school? You'd have like the uh, funniest and the best dressed and the most attractive and all this. Well, I won a class superlative. I was, uh, get ready for it, I was voted most likely to succeed. Yes, thank you. It was probably the crowning achievement of my life. (laughs) Eight years later on October 28th, 2010, a high school classmate of mine who is a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, Matt Kane won game two of the World Series. (laughs) Two weeks, two years later, he became one of only 23 people in history to throw a perfect game in Major League Baseball. And so, as awkward as high school reunions already are, I live under the, the cloudy skies of knowing that whenever Matt Cain retires and actually makes it to one of these reunions, I'm going to have to give him the title, most likely to succeed. I had a good run, but I have been knocked off the mountain. I'll come back to that. We are in a series of sermons we're calling Rooted in Joy. We are studying the book of the Bible called Philippians. Today we are in the next chunk of Philippians, the end of chapter three, what was read for us earlier. Now, if you're this is one of your first weeks with us. We have soap journals. A few of those are left. A soap journal is a way for you to read and study a book of the Bible on your own. And at our info table, if there's uh, any left, is where the soap journals would be. Even though we're about halfway, a little more than halfway through the series, I would encourage you to go and pick one up and, and just keep reading through Philippians, even after the series comes to its conclusion. The point of the series has been this. I can be rooted in joy now because of my relationship with God through Jesus, because of the people God has placed in my life, because of the work Jesus is doing in me, and because of the work Jesus is doing through me. I can be rooted in joy now. My relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the people God has placed in my life, the work Jesus is doing in me, the work Jesus is doing through me. Often we think of joy as something out there. I can have joy once I get through this. Joy is somewhere out there, but the book of Philippians flips that thinking on its head. It's a book about joy, but it's written by a man named Paul who is in prison, who is in the clink, as my cellmates used to say. He is under house arrest in Rome. I said I'd make that joke every week, and I have kept my promise. He's under house arrest in Rome, and yet he writes a letter that became a book of the Bible about joy, joy now. Joy is a present reality now. Last week we talked about the difference in living for approval and from approval, that so many times we and others, we live for approval, but as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you ever come to follow Jesus, you live from approval, as a Christian, you have God's approval. You have a right relationship with God, and you did not earn it, and you did not deserve it. It's a gift. It's a gift that you did not gain, and it's a gift that you cannot lose. You live from approval. Sort of the summary of last week's sermon. If you want to hear the whole thing, you could find that on, on the church website. But our, issue, our, our point in this series is how can I, how can you and I, how can we be rooted in joy now? So the Christian faith is not like being voted most likely to succeed. The Christian faith is not this title that you feel like you have to defend day in and day out, week in and week out. The Christian faith is not a constant need for approval, a constant need for validation. It's not trying to prove to everybody that Jesus made a good decision when he put you on his team. The Christian faith is about something different. We live, Christians live, from approval. Our passage today sums that up very nicely when it says this, verse 16, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So this afternoon, after the service, when you go, when you go out to eat, Paul, where are you going to, to eat after the service? Shopping, okay, that's, well, good luck with that. Try to steer her to the Taco Bell before you do that. Good, so Paul and Connie are going to go to the Taco Bell, and then they're going to go shopping. So you'll be at the Taco Bell, and the person behind the counter will say, you have that glow about you, Paul. You must have gone to Lake Forest Davidson. And you'll say, that's right, and we have services at 8, 15, 9, 30, and 11. You're always ready, always ready. So then the person will say, well, hold on. Um, is there a verse of the Bible that kind of summarizes what it means to live as a Christian? And your answer could be, well, yes, there's a lot of verses that do that. But there was one in the sermon today. The one in the sermon today was Philippians 3:16, which says, "Only let us live up to what we have already attained." A beautiful summary of living as a Christian. "Only let us live up to what we have already attained." in other words the life the death the resurrection of jesus through his life through his death through his resurrection jesus gives us our identity when we put our faith in jesus he gives us a new identity as god's forgiven son god's forgiven daughter who is forever and eternally part of god's family philippians says you and i can start to act like the person Jesus already says we are. You already have your identity as a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, you are already God's forgiven son, God's forgiven daughter in whom He is well pleased. Your place in God's family is eternally secure, and the work ahead for you and for me is to start to live into that identity. Last week we ended with that old expression, I hope to become the person my dog thinks I am. Someone actually told me they have that on a t-shirt at their house. Look for that while you're out shopping. If you find one, pick me up one. Great. I hope to become the person my dog thinks I am. Philippians is saying something even better than that. Philippians is saying you are becoming who Jesus already says you are. You are becoming the person Jesus says that you are. In other words, the Christian life is not about trying harder. The Christian life is about remembering who you are because of Jesus. The Christian life is about remembering whose you are because of Jesus. So who does the hard work in the spiritual equation, you or Jesus? Jesus, always a safe guess at church, Jesus. But how do we respond to that? How do we respond? What's our part? How do we respond to such grace? Verse 13 says this, But one thing I do, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The author Paul is saying, Jesus has done so much for me, and in response to it, I do one thing. I do one thing. How do I respond to the grace of Jesus? I persist. I don't give up. Jesus has given me this new identity. An identity as part of God's eternal family, God's son or daughter in whom he is well pleased. I persist in growing into that identity. I persist in letting that identity reshape my life. I am who Jesus says that I am. You are who Jesus says that you are. Am I cutting out here or there? I'll try not to cut out. There's a a, a phantom in the machine somewhere. I am who Jesus says that I am. You are who Jesus says that you are. You're not who culture says that you are. You're not who social media says that you are. You're not who your friends or family say that you are. Philippians specifically points out the ways that our past can keep us from growing into our Jesus-given identity. We can allow the shame of our past or the successes of our past to keep us from growing into who Jesus has made us to be. We can allow the shame or success of our past to define us and keep us from from growing into who Jesus has made us to be. Jesus says he's forgiven our past and He's walking with us into a future and a purpose more remarkable than we could have dreamed up for ourselves. So let go, Philippians says, let go of what's behind you and persist into the future that God has for you. Don't try to earn God's love but grow into the identity Jesus has already given you. If you and I can do one thing, let us live up to what we have already attained. Verse 18, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You probably realize the passage this morning, there's a fork in the road, and you and I have to figure out which of the forks we're going to take. Am I who Jesus says that I am, or am I who my past says that I am? Am I pursuing the things that God values, or am I pursuing the things that culture values? Values. Am I worshiping my creator or am I going to worship my own desires? Is is my greatest hope found in heaven or is my greatest hope found on earth? The scripture says that as a follower of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you ever come to follow Jesus, the scripture says your citizenship is in heaven. Says it right on the screen. Your citizenship is in heaven. So if you are a Christian, you live on earth, but this world is not your home. Christians, we're we're the immigrants here. We're the refugees here. We're here on the guest worker program. This is not our home, but it is where we lay our head. This is not our home, but it is where we lay our head. Our home is in heaven. Our home is in the world to come. Our home is in eternity with God. So it makes me laugh that this is our passage for this morning, because, and if this is you haven't been here the last seven weeks or it's your first time, you wouldn't necessarily know this, but if you have been here the last seven weeks at all, then hopefully, likely, you know that today is the day we've asked people to bring their commitment cards for Rooted. Rooted is a three-year campaign that starts hmm, here in about a few minutes, Uh, a a three-year campaign For us to to purchase property, land on South Main Street in Davidson, so that our congregation can be, as the name implies, rooted in this community for generations to come. In fact, I should probably warn you, after the sermon today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, 8.15 and 9.30 nailed it, so you guys will do great. Um, Usually the offering comes to you today, you get to come to the offering. So around the room we have four baskets. You want to locate one near you. The few people who struggled at 9:30 had not, you know, clearly identified the marked exit before we did this. There's four around the room: two on this side, two on that side. But the idea would be, if you have, for instance, a prayer card, something you'd like us to be praying for, come and put it in the basket. If you have an offering to give, come. And put it in the basket. If you have a uh, rooted commitment card or a first contribution to rooted, come and put it in the basket as your act of worship, as your act of trusting these things into God's hands. So a little bit something different today because it's a special day in the in the life of the church. Now, if this is the first time you've ever been here or ever heard about rooted, do not fret. You don't need to come up and put something in the thing, but. We do have uh, some little, uh, what would we call these, a brochure, I suppose, about rooted. We still have some at the info table, and you could go and grab one, uh, learn about the land, learn about the campaign, and, and next week or the following week, you could, you could bring back uh, your, your uh, commitment card. Believe it or not, we will accept late rooted cards. We will not turn anyone away from this opportunity. But well, we don't want it to be something you do under duress. Think about it, consider it, pray about it, and, uh, and we look forward to that. But does that make sense? We're doing something a little bit different in the offering today. We want to prep you with that ahead of time. So it's a big day in the life of the church. We're taking a fun step together into this future that God has for us. And then the passage for today says, yeah, don't worry so much about earth. Heaven's what's important. God has a good sense of humor, I just don't like it when I'm the punchline. Like, what's a pastor to do about this? So Hannah, one of our summer staffers from this summer, Hannah gave me an article, and the name of the article was this, To Love the World Most Deeply, The Phenomenology of the World as Gift in Augustine's Confessions." Now in case you're afraid you don't have a cool pastor, I just want you to know I spent my free time reading an article called To Love the World Most Deeply, The Phenomenology of the World as Gift in Augustine's Confessions. I know those are all English words. I just don't understand what they mean when they're in that proximity to each other. But here's the gist of the article and it helps explain where where this passage is going. The article says that one of, the, one of the criticisms of the Christian faith is that it makes people focus so much on heaven and not earth, and that, go, that goes wrong because uh, some Christians start to ignore the problems of our world or the problems in their lives or the problems of our age because they say, well, it's earth, not heaven, who cares? So enter the African Bishop Augustine in the 400s. Augustine says something different. Augustine says, yes, Christianity does make you care more about heaven than about earth. And in fact, that's the best possible thing it could do. Because when you and I begin to care more about heaven than about earth, we will find on earth deeper joy and deeper love than we did before. When you and I start to care more about heaven than about earth, you and I will find on earth deeper joy and deeper love than we did before. I'm going to try to tease that out a little bit. Augustine wants you and me to answer this question. Is this world our greatest hope or a gift to be enjoyed and cultivated? Is this world our greatest hope or a gift to be enjoyed and cultivated? Are the people of this world our greatest hope, or are they a gift to be enjoyed and cultivated? Are the opportunities of this world our greatest hope, or a gift to be enjoyed and cultivated? When you and I see this world as our greatest hope, when I see my greatest hope, my greatest identity is in having a picture-perfect family, My greatest hope, my greatest identity is that my net worth is extraordinary, or that my GPA is extraordinary, that my athletic team is extraordinary. When when my greatest hope, my greatest identity is in political candidates who agree with me getting elected and doing just what I want, when these things become our greatest hope, when they're the source of our identity, we put a weight on these things that they cannot bear. And so Augustine says, following Jesus is about putting your greatest hope in God. It's about putting your greatest hope in heaven, your greatest hope in the world that is yet to come. God can deal with that level of pressure. In fact, that's not even pressure for God. Being the greatest and best hope of humanity is in God's job description. Being your greatest and best hope is not pressure to God, it's who God is. So when you and I become citizens of heaven, when we put our greatest hope in Jesus in eternity with God, when we realize we live from approval, that we are who Jesus says that we are, when God and heaven and God's ways become the most important thing to us, they become our greatest hope, something strange happens. Instead of putting an unbearable pressure on the people in our lives, instead of putting unbearable pressure on the opportunities of our lives, we can start to receive those people and those opportunities as gifts. For example, some people gasped when I said this the last service, but I mean it. My family is not my greatest hope. My family is not the source of my greatest identity. That is the best gift I could give my family. My wife, Mandy, is not my hope. She is a gift. My daughters are not the source of my identity. They are a gift. Our relationships are a gift. They are a gift to be enjoyed. They are a gift to be cultivated. Those little girls are chiefly mine and Mandy's responsibility to cultivate into all that God would have them to be. But they are a gift to be cultivated. They are not my hope or my identity, my chief identity. When I say these things about my family, it doesn't make me love them less. It actually gives me the opportunity to love them more because I'm not asking them to be and do for me what only God can be and do for me. And you can apply the same logic to your friends you can apply the same logic to your job you can apply the same logic to your academic studies you can apply it to athletics when these things are not your greatest hope when they are not the basis of your identity but you come to see them as a gift a gift certainly to be cultivated and a gift to be enjoyed deeply, but they're a gift. You find you're able to love the people and the opportunities more. You are able to enjoy them more deeply because they're not, you're not asking them to be and do for you what only God can be and do for you. You're not crushing wonderful things under an expectation they cannot bear. This gets me back to the land and by God's grace a future building will plop on it is the land our church's greatest hope no is this land the source of our church's greatest identity no but we finally made it we have our own building no no it's a gift it's all a gift the land is a gift Like this gym has been a gift, like the cafeteria has been a gift, like this trusting system has been, like each of you is a gift, and as each of you serves, that's a gift. It's all a gift. A gift that this land, I feel like God has protected for us. But it's a gift. Your contributions to Rooted, whether they be large or whether they be small, they are a gift. Each one is a gift. And each one of them brings me joy. I hope each one of them brings you joy joy as we realize we're all doing this together and and if by God's grace when we put a future church building on the land and by the way that's not going to happen next week we had somebody come a few weeks back and say when are we going to move to the new church building the answer is don't hold your breath you'll faint (laughs) it's a long process it takes a while that's fine because it's not our greatest hope it's not our greatest identity It's a step we're taking together. It's a big step, but it's a step. But when, by God's grace, there's a church building on the site, it'll be a gift. A gift for future generations to worship God, a gift to welcome one more person into God's family, a gift to our community so that our community can use it and enjoy it and realize Christians do care about the people of this world, even though this world is not our home. In fact, we care about the people of this world, especially because this world is not our home. The passage concludes, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So we're moving towards the summary. True or false? Philippians says, our greatest hope is in heaven, not earth. True. If someone near you just mumbled false, you can can do the little jab to them. They have not been listening. So, true or false? Because heaven is our greatest hope, the world to come is our greatest hope, postpone joy until later. False. Because heaven is our greatest hope, postpone loving deeply until later. False. You can almost hear the the joy and love like bursting out of Paul as he writes these words. You, brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy. He's writing this to people. Remember, he's under house arrest. He's about to be tried as to whether it's illegal to be a Christian. And if it's illegal, is it a capital offense? He may never see these people again on earth. And so you almost hear the joy and the love that he has for them, you who I love and long for, bursting out. But he does this while saying, I am a citizen of heaven, and I am waiting for Jesus to come take me home. The Bible says in the future, all of us are going to get to meet somebody famous. And it's not just when Matt Cain comes to my high school reunion. In the future, all of us will get to meet Jesus face to face. And for some of us, it'll be like the reunion of old friends. And for some of us, it'll be like seeing the blue lights flashing in the rearview mirror. But my point in all this is to say you and I don't have to walk into that meeting unprepared. when you see jesus when you meet jesus face to face that does not have to be the first time you've ever asked yourself the question where is my greatest hope what is my greatest hope who is my greatest hope you can say now as paul does in philippians jesus is my savior meaning that jesus has rescued us jesus has saved us he has rescued us from ourselves, he has rescued us from destruction, he has rescued us from being alienated from God, and then he goes a step further and says, and he is my Lord. Lord means king, Lord means in charge, uh, Lord, Lord means the person in charge of the renovation project that is my life. He, he's transforming me from the inside out. Jesus, the Bible says, wants to be our Savior and Lord. Lord. You don't have to walk through life alone. You you don't have to walk through life overcome by shame. You don't have to live afraid of God. You don't have to ask the people and the opportunities in your life to be your God. There is a better way. And Jesus invites you to walk that way with Him one step at a time. It means you and I would be willing to give up our path. To walk on His path, which would be the first step of saying, "You are my Savior and my Lord." So the question I'd love you to consider as I wrap up my part and we move towards uh, towards singing and, and offering would be this: What is your takeaway from our discussion of Philippians chapter three verses thirteen to chapter four verse one? In other words, the passage we read today. What is your takeaway? From the passage we read and studied today, I'll give you some ideas. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to take God's children home. And until He comes, He invites us to persist. He invites us to live into the identity that He has already given us. He invites us to live lives of deep joy, to live lives of deep love, to receive the people and opportunities in our lives and in our world as gifts. I asked the question, I mean, the same question at the 815 service, and one of the folks in the congregation um, <laughs> just blurted out, uh, which happens at that service more often than uh, than the others. She just blurted out, "What's your takeaway?" She said, "the uh, uh, the windshield is larger than the rearview mirror." That was her takeaway. That's a good countryism, by the way. I'm going to use that. I told her I was going to use it at nine thirty eleven, and here I am. Uh, but I love that sort of idea. We can get so tied down by the shame or success of our past that we can lose sight of the future into which God is leading us. And so I pray that as you and I look out the windshield at whatever we see, we see an opportunity for deep love and deep joy now, not just a bunch of miles down the road, but now. So we're going to pray, and then to remind you, we'll stand and sing, and during that first song, after the first song, feel free to come and, and place prayer requests offering rooted commitments in the, in the basket. But let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever it is He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, we are reminded yet again that our lives are not chiefly about what we can do for you. Our lives are chiefly about what you have done for us through Jesus. And so in the moments ahead, we come to respond to you in worship, Some of us will bring prayer requests on our prayer cards because you've given us people in our lives. We love them and we long for them. And we lift them up to you. Some of us will bring offerings because you have been so generous to us. And so we give back to you what is already yours. Lord, some of us will come with commitments and first contributions to Rooted because the the thought of getting to, to have our church family in this community for generations brings us joy. Lord, some of us in this time may have a very different offering to give. what we have to give may be our very lives or an area of our life where we have kept you at arm's length. I pray we might open up these areas of our lives to you, maybe for some of us even taking our very first step of faith in opening up our entire life to you. And saying, as the Scripture did, Jesus, be my Savior and Lord. And Lord, I do want to just pray specifically for those in our church who are out of work, who are struggling financially. I pray that they would not receive any of this campaign or otherwise as shame or guilt, but that they would see you provide their every need